Welcome to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. I'm Michael Hyatt, and in each episode, we'll talk to local entrepreneurs, hear their stories, learn from their setbacks, and pick up some new insights along the way. This week, we're talking understanding customer needs with Janet Zuccarini. Hey, Michael. Hey, Nisha. So who do we have up today? Have you been to any of the Gusto 54 restaurants in Toronto? Yeah, I certainly have. Which one's your favorite? Probably the one on Portland Street. Gusto, that's definitely my favorite too. Uh, so some of the roster um, here is Chubby's Jamaican, Pie, and Gusto 101. And that being said, we have Janet Zuccarini, the CEO and owner of the Gusto 54 Restaurant Group in Canada. You know, I can't imagine the amount of change restaurant owners are going through right now in the past two to three months with all the stoppage and all trying to start and figuring out what to do. It's, it's an industry that has gone through absolute mayhem. And it's going to be so interesting to have this conversation to see what the world is like for a restaurateur. Yeah, totally. And the interesting thing about Jen is, is she doesn't actually live in Toronto. She's she's based in LA. Uh, she's Canadian. She's Canadian born. Um, so I'd love to hear her story and how she's managing everything being um, so far away from the business. Wow. I, I didn't expect that. That'll be interesting. Let's uh, Let's chat with Janet. Awesome. I'll bring her right on. Janet is the CEO and founder of Gusto 54, uh, an epic chain of restaurants, very successful. And, you know, reading your bio, you've won every award, Independent Restaurateur of the Year, Deloitte Best Managed Company, you're a judge on Top Chef Canada. I mean, it goes on. You've done so well. You're like a bit of an institution in Toronto in the restaurateur business. I'm very happy to be chatting with you about uh, what's going on. It's such an interesting time to talk about restaurants and eating and food business. You must be uh, in the thick of some really interesting... Uh... You call it interesting. I'm not sure. <laughs> I would call it decimating. It's been the most surreal, crazy time for, I think, the majority of the planet right now. But the restaurant industry arguably has been hit the hardest. And this is really the black swan moment because no one has seen this in our lifetimes. You know, what I tell people is if I was in a board meeting last year and I said to them, I said, hey, I think we should start planning that the entire business world is going to shut down. I mean, that, that, that wasn't something we ever planned for. You know how you do board planning, you look at your performance for the next year, you plan. You couldn't have planned for this. And, you know, if I asked you, okay, we're sitting in February and I tell you this is going to happen in March, what could you even have done differently? I mean, any bit of any warning that we can have would help us to pivot and change our, you know, existing model of business. And that's what you have to do. You have to just, you, you have to roll with any punches that you get. There was absolutely no planning for something that we, no one had any idea of, right? The black swan moment of a global pandemic. And myself being in the restaurant industry for 24 years, I opened my first restaurant Nervosa in Yorkville 24 years ago, and that's still going really strong. And all the restaurants that I've opened, ha you know, are performing very, very well. So I could never imagine that I had any risk. So mainly, I, I buy the real estate, I buy a lot of the buildings, and then I put a restaurant inside the buildings. And slowly, I've grown this company very um, cautiously because I don't want to, um, I wanted to make sure that I built a really, really strong foundation. So I could never thought that I would have had any risk at all. I thought that many of my restaurants are neighborhood restaurants. They're, let's call them like a lot of them are pizzerias. They're very casual. 
if the economy is strong, people want to eat pizza. If the economy is weak, people want to eat pizza. So I could not plan for, I was like, I'm absolutely risk-free. My foundation is so solid. But with COVID, the industry was decimated overnight. Like you wake up one day and you just don't have your business anymore with the government mandating you to close. But do you think in the last three months you've almost got a PhD in business? I mean, not like you don't have an incredible pedigree. And I want to go back into your history in a bit, but do you feel like this past three months has has been like nothing else you've ever seen or heard or never even thought you'd have to get into? Yeah, I went from... You know, I have a, I have an amazing team of people and we feel very, you know, confident in opening restaurants right now to overnight having to close most of the operations, eight, eight out of the nine operations we closed down temporarily for a month, basically went to zero revenue overnight. And I had to come back as the leader of the company and deal with closing eight restaurants, temporarily laying off 700 people and saying, how are we going to reinvent ourselves right now? How are we going to create new revenue streams? So absolutely PhD in business all over again. Do you think that you by definition are a risk taker, right? I mean, I I tell a lot of people they shouldn't be entrepreneurs. I mean, I think it's actually more of a rare art form. I think it's, you know, most people I think should be getting a paycheck on 15th and 30th. You created your own job, your own everything. Your father came over here from Italy. He started to bring in uh, espresso machines. You started to help him. And then eventually you got to starting your own restaurant, which I believe the first one was Cafe Nervosa 26 years ago or so. And you had two partners, bought out the first one right away. And then you tell the story of how one day you just saved up your money. You had a shotgun clause. You just walked in, handed the other guy that you really didn't like that much (laughs) a check and you just bought the whole restaurant and there you had it. It was all yours. Yeah. And then your next step, as I understand, eventually, as I'm running through your biography in my head, listening to you, uh, um, all the interviews I watched, you you eventually then just you bought a kind of a landmark piece of real estate in Yorkville, Toronto, and right on the corner there, Yorkville and Bel Air, which is just incredible. You own that, and you kind of own one of the most key positions of a restaurant, very strategically, and you saved about ten years to buy that restaurant. What what I what I'm so interested in is that every one of those steps is hard. And every one of those steps is extreme risk-taking. And you know what? Most people wouldn't do it. Most people wouldn't buy it. Most people wouldn't try to buy out their partner. Most people wouldn't save the money that you saved, which at real sacrifice. Is this different this time right now? Or is it just more sacrifice and hardship, but you're kind of, that's what you're built for? Yeah, I'm definitely built for it. So I think that you're born an entrepreneur. You can learn how to be an entrepreneur, but can you really roll with, um, you know, high risk? And so being an entrepreneur, you have to, you know, not count on a paycheck and you have to, you, you get to create it. But the upside is you get to create it and you get right. to create anything that you want. But that may mean not getting a paycheck. And when I opened Nervosa, I was living on my own from the age of 18. I opened Nervosa when I was 30 and I moved back in with my parents. Like, are you willing to take those sacrifices? I didn't take a paycheck for a few years. Right. And and people, I don't think people quite fully understand that it's not like you agreed not to take it for a few years. You never knew if there was a paycheck coming. Right. So it wasn't like you could have been four years. You could have been six years. You could have been one year. You didn't know. And, and I'm going to guess that your vacation timeline was pretty bad, too, for the first five years. Well, zero. Right. Zero, zero in four years. I didn't I didn't take a vacation. Uh, and that's what being an entrepreneur doesn't always look like this. But the restaurant business is 
very, very tough business. And I think the pandemic really exposed the inherent weaknesses of this entire industry that the restaurants run on razor thin profit margins. You know, years ago, you could have had enough cash in the bank to last you a couple of months. Now, most restaurants can only survive about two weeks. Uh, you know, the business, the actual model is kind of broken. Restaurants, all restaurants should be charging more money, but customers, as we have better value restaurants coming in, you're not going to get the customer base. What you do right now in the restaurant business is you accept these razor thin profit margins, essentially. But when a pandemic comes, we're going to see a lot of restaurants that can't get to the other side of this and will be permanently closing. And a lot of restaurants are permanently closing right now. It does, is that opportunity for you? There's a famous saying, and I think it goes back to the Napoleonic time, which is like France was burning down. And they, they, I think somebody ran into Baron von Rothschild and he says, they said, what are you doing? Uh, uh, Paris is burning. And he says, I'm buying bank stock. And people said, why? He says, well, you buy when there's blood in the street, even if the blood is your own. Is it a, is it a time now where you, know, you buy when there's blood in the street? Is there a time to lean in right now in the restaurant industry and just what everybody's running? I mean, kind of that Warren Buffett, you be greedy when fearful, fearful when greedy. Is, that, is this a time right now? Well, I think, you know, it's too soon to tell and people are just focusing on surviving and getting Mm -hmm. to the other side of this. The restaurants don't have any money in the bank right now, really, Mm -hmm. the restaurants. So everyone is pivoting, trying to create new revenue streams, renegotiating with the banks and renegotiating with landlords right now because we don't have revenue. Restaurants do not you know, yes, with takeout and delivery, most restaurants are doing about 10% of pre-COVID revenue. So how can you then go and pay 100% of your rent when you're making 10% of your pre-COVID revenue in a business that already you are just at 100% when you're allowed to see that 100% capacity is a very challenging business. What's the broad plan right now? You know, I actually kind of bought into a one restaurant because, you know, what all successful entrepreneurs do is they think they know everything. And of course I don't. And I, I got into one and then it, a private equity shot bought it out. So now I have a piece of like a whole chain. And I asked them what they were going to do. And I don't think they really had any good answers right now of what to do. Because what do you do? What do you, I mean, even if you take 50% of the seating out, it's not like you can be that profitable you know, do we want to have somebody come up to serve you with a mask? Do you want to wear masks? You have to clean the menus every... It just seems like the cost of keeping a restaurant open with 50% of the tables could be 50% more expensive just from hygiene. I, I don't know. How does the math work? Well, it doesn't right now. So what you have to do is you have to renegotiate everywhere. You have to renegotiate if you're mm-hmm. renting the space, you're going to have to renegotiate with your landlord and probably try to convince them to go to a percentage of your revenue rent, which the industry mm-hmm. average is you would pay 6% of your revenue towards rent. So, you know, I don't own all of the buildings uh, where all my restaurants are. So I have some landlords and I'm going to them and I say, you've been with me through the good times. Can you ride with me through the bad times? And would you be willing to take 6% of whatever I'm going to make at a 50% capacity? Will you take that in the form of rent? And initially some landlords were saying no. Now they realize who are they going to get in my place? That's exactly it. That's exactly right. I can do it. They're going to find a hard time finding another restaurateur. And the bottom line is 24 years, I've never closed a restaurant. And I have a very, we are very good on the business side of things and making sure that we run a solid 
uh, profit margin throughout all the restaurants because we we manage numbers very well and we've been good at what we what we do and the proof is in the pudding. We haven't closed it. How, how how have you done so well with customers? And I I watched you back in 2016, 2017 interviews, and you started saying in 2017, which it seems like a lifetime ago right now, right? Because every month is like a year right now in COVID. But you were pounding the table for fast casual, and you were kind of bringing into something where you just made this statement about the pizza. You know, good times pizza, bad times pizza. Like you were making these incredible, what I call, I think, premium. They're not your average ones you dial to your house. I mean, they're premium pizzas, but how did you figure out that trend? How did you know that that would work so well in, in your, in your Gusto and on Portland and Toronto or your Cafe Nouveau? Like, how did you know you were right about that? I think that I have this passion for business and I have this passion for food. And what I realized is you're a, a good bet in opening a restaurant is to become a stalwart in a neighborhood to become this fixture in a neighborhood, I thought that business model made sense to me. So with Cafe Nervosa, we became kind of the first good value restaurant in a Tony neighborhood. And it's proven to be successful right there for 24 years. My next restaurant, Gusto 101, I wanted to be this neighborhood restaurant in a neighborhood that has a younger demographic. So King West has a younger demographic. So I just wanted to make sure that I designed something that had a really great vibe and offering things that made sense to young people, very good price point. We introduced, we were the first to have wine on tap and then added this marketing um, little angle to say, it's a dollar an ounce. So a buck an ounce, wine on tap, appeals to young people. So in building these restaurants, it's like, what am I doing in this neighborhood? How am I going to see a thousand people a day in each restaurant? Each of my restaurants on average do about a thousand people a day. Wow. So that is kind of a model that I really like. When I came to LA, it was a different model. I was doing a more chef-driven restaurant. So I was breaking out of my model of just doing this good value neighborhood restaurant to wanting to do something different because I felt that I was, I was okay to take some bigger risks and trying to create more of a destination restaurant here in LA. And so as I'm, as I'm growing, I'm, I'm expanding what I do because I feel okay to take what I think is some bigger risks. It's, it's almost like talking about a restaurant today or before kind of March 15th are two different worlds. It's kind of the advice you'd give before that and advice you give now would be two different things. Let's say we fast forward time where kind of all the cities are open, but there's still not a vaccine, but we're all kind of, I don't know what we're doing. I think we're all going to some kind of gray area. I'm reading a lot of articles about um, South Korea right now, and it's kind of these ideas that they don't have a lot of COVID. It's not rising, but everybody's living in this gray. Should I go out? Should I be in a group? Should I not be in a group? you know, your parents, young kids, and then you have older elderly parents, what do you do? And there's this kind of big unknown, this big fear factor. If I were to open a restaurant, let's say January, 2021, and let's say it was fast casual, for example, I mean, would you tell me, hey, just don't bother opening it, wait, or what would you tell me? To your question from before about, is this a, you know, a big opportunity moment happening right now? Right. The opportunity is going to be in commercial real estate, which will be much more affordable. So I think mm-hmm. that we're a wave of younger people, ambitious chefs coming in, wanting to open some new restaurant that they couldn't before because they couldn't afford to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're going to see a little bit of a changing of guards, some new uh, restaurateurs, young, ambitious people coming into the space. I think that 
it will be good for some people. For other people, you're going to have to, a lot of people are going to have to reinvent themselves. I'm not sure if fine dining is really going to have the place that it did have. And we see examples of Daniel Hume with 11 Madison Park in New York City, 2019 being the number one restaurant in the world. He was saying he was going to close it permanently. He came out and made a statement two days ago to say he's going to reinvent it. It will not be fine dining. We have to understand that we're, we're in a recession right now. Can't be tone deaf and offering these crazy prices right now. People are looking for good value. And now a message from our sponsor. You're listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Make sure you subscribe for more conversations, learning and insights, or visit our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub. There you'll find helpful articles and videos for any stage of business, whether you're starting out, expanding, or looking for advice. I recommend the latest content series on crisis planning, which in this current age is more relevant than ever. There's an expansive e-guide that you can download absolutely free with chapters about cash flow crisis or even applying for government grants. And there's four companion workbooks to help you get started. So if you want to see your business one step ahead, visit bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub. This is a time where you'll be defined as a CEO because I think in the past five, 10 years, in a way, it's been hard to be a CEO, but it's been a lot easier than it is now in the sense that this is true leadership happens now in the darkest, most difficult times. You see everything from everybody. You see everything from business friends, who's your friend, who's helping you, which landlord's helping you, who's stepping up, which banker's stepping up, who's trying to do this, who's trying to do that. And you find out everything. It's almost like the emperor has no clothes and everything is naked and you get to see everything. And you wonder right now who's on your side, who's not, and how to pivot the company. Do you feel like like if you get through this, you kind of feel like you, you kind of made it? I mean, this one must be the most daunting task. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think but that's what what everyone has to be doing right now in small business or if you're an entrepreneur and all these all these industries be relevant right now in this day and age with a global pandemic, with the economy being hit around the world. What are you going to be able to offer that people need right now? You have to reinvent yourself. Everyone does. And if you're not reinventing yourself, you're out there renegotiating all of your deals. I've seen people sit back and just want to like wait this out. So everyone has to be working around the clock right now. All these industries. So here's my idea. And I've been watching restaurants for a while now. And I've been thinking... Because I have a new baby. She's nine months old on around Father's Day. Thank you. I'm a girl dad and I'm ridiculously thrilled. But, you know, it, as soon as you have that baby, you feel like, I don't want to go out. I don't want, like, I, I, I you know, I look, I, I think Cafe Novosa was one of the most frequented places I've ever been. I know exactly what I have. I have this spinach savory chicken and extra mushrooms because your mushrooms are so amazing, by the way. Thanks. Hold the cheese. And I, I ate there only 6,000 times. So much I should have bought the building. You helped me buy the building, so thank you. Right. I, I, well, listen, you deserve it. Amazing food. And, 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 you know, Gusto in Portland is another favorite. But I, but I was thinking, like, and I mean, thinking about these restaurants and what do they have, what they don't have. And then suddenly what happened was my, my wife saw in one of these moms groups, and I called, I called this moms group the most powerful group in Toronto. And it's basically hundreds of moms that chat together. And one of them actually ran a restaurant chain. They had three, four restaurants. And... If they just started losing their mind, uh, they couldn't stay in anymore. So they just started making tons of quiches. And then all everybody in the mom's group just started buying them. And then what they did, they they made this kind of catering service where 
uh, they every week it's it's once a week delivery, and what I call it, I call it family family delivery, and I've kind of changed their idea a little bit, but. This, the idea is is that what my family wants and what so many families want is the great food from your restaurant, or probably once a week in a family style, like a thing of chili, a thing of this, a thing of that. You know, so where I'm going with my big diatribe and my idea here, this new business I want to discuss with you, is that is it is it possible to kind of what I call weekly family style ordering, where where it's direct to you and the volumes there and the dollar figures are higher? Is that does it even make sense for the next twelve months? Well, we've been doing that. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, and so many at the, at, the, at the volumes, like at the larger volumes weekly. Yeah. So, what we're doing is in this way of um, coming up with a plan to pivot. We immediately, you know, went to takeout and delivery. So, we're not just doing straight up ordering our menu, which right. we also right. do, but we do family meals uh, out of all the restaurants. All the restaurants, you can order family meals. You can order meal kits. We are keep adding different things. So right now it's barbecue season. You can order uh, barbecue kits. You can order picnics, all, you know, everything that you want for an Italian picnic. We, you can order groceries from all, my, all of my restaurants. You can order essentials. You can order paper towels and Lysol wipes. What's we, the most, okay, so what are the top three things you're getting orders for? Well, I mean, that's I, a lot going on there. They, you, you're giving a lot of stuff. I, I never even thought of wipes and all that stuff. But I mean, that's kind of a little bit orthogonal, but. From the food side, what's the highest demand stuff? Everyone could probably guess this, but it's yeast. Everyone's baking sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. You can't find yeast in the grocery stores. So barbecue kits right now, a full-on barbecue kit, you know, that sold really well. Chubby's Jamaican Kitchen, we're doing, we're doing family meals, jerk chicken, all the fixins. That's going really well. A lot of things are selling across the board, even our farmer's um, kind of baskets of organic uh, fruits and vegetables that are in season. We're selling that and, uh, you know, all of our regular menu items. So they're, they're all selling well, but we have definitely trends. So, so, so I got in with my doctor today. We had our health checkup on our nine month old. And she said to us, we're never going back to seeing 100% of our patients. She says, at most, we're calculating now in the medical industry 70%. Now, I haven't seen our doctor in four months, but I've done tons of checkups. And, you know, we'll say, Sophia, our baby has a rash, so we'll just hold her up to the camera, you know. And, and you know what? Almost everything I need, they can kind of figure it out. And so medicine is never going back. Is that the same in restaurants? Do you think we're going back? Or do you think that you're always now going to have to do this larger order family style, Father's Day stuff and I think that we're going to see a hybrid now and we've introduced these new revenue streams and we're probably going to, we're going to hundred percent need that when we go to 50 or 60% capacity, you're going to need other forms of revenue to support you. I do think that we're going to go back to hundred percent and I think it's going to take two years. We live with the virus until there's a vaccine and we, we have to also understand that this is all going to take time. Yeah. I do think that we're going to, we're going to get back. You know, LA's been allowed to reopen restaurants. Yesterday, I was just taking a bike ride around the neighborhood, and every restaurant I saw had a lineup down the street. People want to get out. You're also going to see, I think it's going to be very interesting, as you go down to, let's call it 60% capacity, the dining hours that are odd dining hours, like 3 p.m., are going to now fill up. 
you're going to have these off hours because people will just, I want to come out. I want to dine out. You only have 3 p.m. I'll take it. People's times that they are going to dine are going to spread out to earlier to later. Is it a standard thing you do is collect the information where you can if they give it on the name and email and numbers of everybody that goes to your restaurants? We mainly, we mainly interact with our people, our customers, our client base over social media. That's mainly how we interact. Do you think, though, going forward, let's say we go back to filling up the restaurants, but then, you know, God forbid, but a couple of years from now, we have another pandemic. Do you think the restaurants that are better positioned have the information on their, their clients and can reach them and can market to them, can sell them things, can go digital? Or is it just you want, don't, you want it one way? Well, we also, you know, when you take any reservations, you do collect information and emails do go out. So that's another, you, you definitely, most restaurants collect that, that data and you then will also communicate via email. But we mainly like more like a voluntary way. You follow us, you're going to get information about our restaurant. I kind of like that a bit better than flooding people with their emails, but we do do that as well. No, I'm just wondering if the future is that, you know, I've told people before many years ago, obviously hundreds of years ago, we fought over land, then we fought over oil. And, and, and us in the tech world think all the wars are going to be about data. And, and, and that drives all the way down to business where the more we know about our, uh, the more we can dissect data on our clientele, the better and stronger we'll be when we have to be virtual. It just seems like the future is at least partially virtual for restaurants. And I don't think it's coming back fully. So maybe it comes back 70, 80, 90%, but there'll always be a component that the strongest will have more and more data on, on their clientele. Does that make any sense? Or? Yeah. You know, for, I think all industries, any data that you have on your, on your consumer base is going to be helpful. You pay a lot of money to get people's email addresses, you know? I want to talk about customer needs. And I want to dive into that for a second, because one thing you've done better than others is to really understand trends. I mean, you've been so successful in food. I want to just keep going back to how do you know what people are going to like? With, it, with each restaurant that I've opened, there it's really kind of like an individual story. So there was Nervosa first in Yorkville, and that that whole angle was to create a good value restaurant in an upscale neighborhood, and there were no good value restaurants at that time. Right. So it was building that. Then came Gusto 101, which was, again, the goal of becoming a neighborhood fixture, seeing a 1,000 people a day in a young uh, demographic neighborhood. So I knew that I had to offer very good price points. I had to offer a kind of what I was trying to create, like a good vibe in a restaurant that young people would enjoy, good music, good atmosphere, good design. Do you, do you personally read uh, customer comments on each of your restaurants? No, I can't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I thought you would have said yes to that. Yeah. Why? Because I, my team... They read it and then they summarize. If they see any kind of trends in a comment, they say, okay, let's address this. Let's look at this. I find it disturbing to write, to read any comments. If you, if you're going to believe the positive, then you're going to have to believe the negative and it's a losing game. Like it, it just messes with my head. My skin crawls when I read comments. I totally I get it. I, you, you know, founders should absolutely fight for their brand. And when people make comments about, my companies, I, I lose my mind. I, it's a competitive because that's who you are. That's why you are where you are today. I will say this. Like I said before, my team definitely reads 
all of the comments and we respond to everyone. And I think that everyone needs to be re- responded to. Sure. I, I spent years reading the comments. I just can't do it anymore. This is kind of a bizarre question, but how would you assess a trend, let's say, the next three months in just food? I mean, do you have an idea on style of food or is it more, you know, uh, fast casual or what are you thinking? I think the trend right now, because of what the world is facing economically, I believe that we're in a recession, although the stock markets would tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're in a recession. You know, when when you're looking at unemployment rates at an all-time high, you have to be in tune with that. You can't be tone deaf and be offering premium products right now. I think you're in competition right now with grocery stores. Restaurants are in competition with grocery stores, with everyone cooking for themselves. So we have, uh, across the board, looked to lower our prices to be more competitive. But where do you get that margin pickup again then? So if you lower your prices, that margin has to come from somewhere now, right? So where does it come from? You know, is it a thing where you're just, you know, consolidating kitchens for external deliveries or? The margin comes from, we do also work in kind of ghost kitchens for delivery is, you know, making it up with delivery. You also have uh, lower labor, labor costs and you're renegotiating with your landlord. So how this is all going to work is when you renegotiate new deals everywhere for your new revenue model, which is a fraction of your pre-COVID revenue. You, you're in Toronto and I think in LA and Beverly Hills. Is that right? I'm in Toronto and um, I also have a home in Venice Beach. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Your restaurants though. You you have restaurants in, in LA or? In Venice, we have Felix and then under construction in Beverly Hills and also under construction in downtown LA. So when COVID struck and you still had to sell and build these restaurants and get food out, how did you know what your customer needs were and had they changed or was the same menu? Did you redo all your menus? What what did you do? How did you react to the customer changing environment? Well, the whole world changed overnight and we were looking at other countries that were ahead of it. So I lived in Italy for eight years. I have a lot of friends in Italy. I'm asking them, what are restaurants doing? What's selling? What's not selling? Uh, LA was also a little bit ahead of Toronto with the lockdown. So I contacted other restaurateurs that had pivoted and added basically a grocery store. So we truncated our menu. Then we offered the grocery store, family meals, um, meal kits where you could make a pizza at home, get the kids involved make pasta at home where you're just boiling the water and in three minutes you feel like you're cooking but actually we've done all the prep work for you so we're looking at is this the opportunity that you found uh in this crisis or are you still trying to figure that out you know absolutely had to figure this new world order out overnight and create revenue streams that we could survive and looking to what customers need in covid so you, you have to understand that people's a lot of people went on unemployment, so they don't have, you know, they're not putting that full paycheck in their pocket and in their bank. So we lowered our prices across the board, offered anything that we thought that people would want from us. And then we became also grocery store and where you could get a farmer's basket or essentials like paper towels. So and where, where do customers find out about these things? Just on your site, on your Instagram? Like where are on- they? On all the social media platforms, so, you know, heavy engagement and really posting a lot. So people, we had to get the word out. 
Also, yes, we've collected everyone's email addresses. So we're sending out emails, giving information of, of what we're offering. And that's really your, your best way through your social media and through sending out emails. My feeling is that you're so well ingrained in this industry and you know it so well, better than me, better than almost anybody in the city and you know what you're doing. And it's almost like there is no playbook for a pandemic in the restaurant industry. And there's nothing I can really say that makes it so like, oh, okay, just do this pivot. Like we've understood this. We've never seen this rodeo before. Now, I, I, I'd say a few things listening to you though. I, I do think that we'll go back to it, that I think going forward, understanding data and understanding your clients' data will become more and more important in every single industry. I also think the idea of my larger idea that you're kind of doing this family food ordering where people are ordering sometimes two to $300 a week of like a thing of chili, a thing of whatever, and they're not eating it all in one go. It's like not one dinner. It's a family style is picking up a lot of steam and, and not every day. It's things you order per week and it makes it kind of more special. And then used through the week, because I don't know how long this is going to go on for. Something you've probably thought of in your businesses already is that you have a lot of equity sitting in your buildings. So I'm not sure if you're ever going to sell your buildings, which is a difficult thing to do, certainly dependent because actually for people listening to this, it's very hard to sell commercial right now in Toronto or anywhere because no one knows which way it's going. But you obviously have a lot of equity sitting in there. And one of the smartest things you did by building this enterprise is uh, it's not like other restaurateurs where they're you know, negotiating with their landlord, you're negotiating often with yourself uh, on what you're going to do there. So I think data is important. I think family food style ordering is important. And I think you consider the equity in the building is really important. My gut on you is just that you're just going to figure this out. And I don't think there's a playbook for this. I don't think there's anything standardly you're going to do or not do. And I think, think you've made it through so many challenges. I just feel like you're going to make it out of this and you're going to be the survivor. And I believe this is going to be an entire maybe almost a little bit of a Harvard business case at the end of it. I, I feel that you're really going to find your way out. And I do think we will meet again. And and, and I do think we're all going to get together again. I don't think that the world is going to be the same. It's going to be 70% the same. I think the medical industry has it right there. And I think that the other side of this is going to always be delivery and a bit of coming to the restaurant. Uh, you know, if I can quote the airlines, they don't think their airlines are going to come back till 2023. So I think, you know, restaurant may be around that time or a little bit before. But I think this is going to be a very, very interesting next 12 months for you and your businesses. If we all look at this and we work on this together, we're, we're all going to be okay. We're going to survive this. Thanks for listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. For more episodes of the podcast, head to bmo.com forward slash small business podcast. You don't want to miss a single episode, so subscribe now. And for other great resources, stop by our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub.